In a world. Mate, hold up. We said we're done with the serious intros. Who said? Well, we did. I don't remember that. Well, I said it, and you're me, so, you know. Well, I don't care. In a world. Uh, hey, I told you. We're keeping it light. You do it on your own, then. Well, technically, I already am, so. Anyway, fuck yeah. Pure wild flight. Get it down, ya. How good? Visit nzaerosports.com. I get to do the next one. Well, obviously you moron, we both do. I was 19, broke, unemployed, and sold my girlfriend's canopy for drug money. So, I thought I better sew her a new one. What a sentence, and what a story. This describes the humble yet outrageous beginnings of NZ Aerosports, the home of Icarus Canopies, in the words of our founder himself. From getting a paratrooper toy from his mom, Watching parachutes at the DZ as a six-year-old, jumping off the wharf with a parachute made from bedsheets, doing his first jump at 16, sewing his first canopy on a borrowed machine at 19, and starting to sell parachutes out of a garage in 1986, Paul Gyro Martin had an undying love for the sky. Our company started with one man with the wildest of spirits in a true blue sky dream, a renegade. In the time that Gyro created and ran the Icarus Canopies brand until he passed away in 2017, he pushed everything he had to its limits. We miss him and we always will. Gyro is the next generation of NZ Aerosports. It honors our founder, of course, because it was the name we all knew him by, but Gyro the rebrand also marks the start of a new chapter, our next jump. Gyro is the space between sound and silence, art and science, chaos and calm. Gyro is a state of epic tranquility that transcends understanding. That moment, in the door, in free fall, mid-swoop, where nothing but the present exists. A perfect balance of euphoria and thrill. Gyro captures our passion for flying and our commitment to designing break-the-fucking-rules canopies that deliver pilots pure, wild flight. Straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right. Uh, in the can, once again, is the fucking pilot with another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. And boys and girls, you're not going to believe this one. On, uh, on the other line, the magic of Skype once again, I have, well, you tell me, who am I talking to? Hey, my name is Olaf Zipser, and um, I'm the guy who likes to fly the sky, and I say uh, I'm swimming the ocean of gas. I call it free flying. Free what flying. You, it is you? Mr. Olaf Zipser. Olaf, I am doing absolutely fantastic. I'll tell you what, this is a real treat for me, and for uh, all the skydivers of my generation, our generation, because, uh, man, you've been kind of the name for a very, very long time. I was watching the stuff that you were doing when I was just a little baby skydiver, and you're still doing it. You're still going hardcore, man. I mean, it's amazing. Well, I slowed down a little bit, but I'm still flying the sky uh, 34 years later. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy that um, many people enjoy to fly the ocean of gas as I do. Um, at that time when I started, um, it was just barely flying. And mm. um, I came from the swimming industry, or not industry, but from the swimming sport as a, as a kid. Okay. Also diving into the water from the from the uh, you know into the water from the from the tower thing mm. and swimming underwater scuba diving all this I learned as a kid and uh, when I was um, yeah when I was old enough to decide for myself twenty I decided mm. to go skydiving and now how did that I come about of, I mean did you have family into skydiving or you just saw it somewhere how did how did you decide to make that first jump. Oh, actually, it was very funny. I almost did never jump. I actually didn't want to jump. I wanted to go hang gliding on the Delta Flyers, you know, the really? triangle thing. 
yeah, I had one friend who I helped once to drive him up the mountain, and when he flew down the mountain, uh, I drove him back up the mountain, kind of thing like that. Wow. And that inspired me, and I thought, like, man, that's a good thing. I learned that, too. I already have a friend who, who can do this. And I went to a travel agency, but they didn't have any courses available for the for the timing, which I had vacation, you know. And they decided, or not they decided, they suggested go skydiving in Texel. You can do the AFF program. It's brand new in 1986. It was uh, a test program still. Sure. And I ended up doing skydiving. That was a good, good, good thing for me. So you went out to go make a hang glide for the first time, and they just couldn't take the booking, and that's the only reason you ended up becoming a skydiver? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> that- that's not that what you expect from the father of free flying. I mean, <laughs> I would. Well, I, I almost expected you to tell me that you've been dreaming of skydiving since you were in diapers. <laughs> no, not really. I mean, I saw the Rambo movies and I got inspired by by whatever the, um, the 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 war action when they jump in, but it was never really in my mind to do things like this. Only when I met this friend and I I saw how he hang glides down the mountain. Uh, that's when I got inspired, you know, wow. to do something with aviation. So where did so, where is it you did your first jump? In Texel. Texel is an island in Holland, and it was in 1986. I think it was one of the few places where the European people tried out the new American AFF system to teach people. Wow! And I was I was uh, lucky enough to enjoy that as one of the very first people. So now you land from this first jump. Did you know right then that that was for you? I think so. Yes, because I had I had it really easy uh, in my mind. The first three jumps were quite easy. Um, the fourth jump was um, was a, a mental a mental hurdle. I mm. almost was scared enough to not jump because really? it felt strange not only have one jump master, and I wasn't quite sure of what the whole thing is all about and uh, if it's worth it or something like this, you know. So. Almost, almost rejected, but then I said, "Fuck it, I'd do it anyway." You know, that's that's so, really cool because uh, um, I think a lot of people just assume, you know, they they see someone like yourself or any of the the um, very visible skydivers in the sport that have these tens of thousands of jumps, and they assume that there's no fear involved uh, in their progression in the sport. And it's always refreshing uh, to hear someone, especially uh, you know, of your notoriety, that says, "No, I was fucking scared. I almost didn't do the jump." So it's it's really cool. To <laughs> here this is the truth hey i still get maybe not scared so much i get scared on the base jump i remember that that was uh, that was intense but anyhow it's 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 healthy to be scared or not maybe scared but at least concerned or safety safety uh, safety cautious you know yeah gotta make in skydiving i think and suggest to everyone it's like every day every jump you make a new risk assessment calculation for yourself and only after that you you should allow yourself to to either way allow it or or don't you know yeah. make a decision every time you know yeah and absolutely not, not be bored or lazy about it there's no routine in the sport no i think the fear is extremely healthy in fact i had taken a, a pretty decent break from jumping uh, granted i was flying in the sport the entire time but i took about 4 years off and i didn't start jumping again until someone suggested going out to make a jump and the idea actually scared me and i went oh shit i think it's time to jump again <laughs> it's you know? great isn't it you oh, think yeah. you're the thing and then you feel like oh shit man it's really it's really affecting me anyhow <laughs> yeah no it's amazing well so you make this first jump you 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 uh, overcome that first hurdle of being scared how where does the sport really start for you where uh where did it lead you to begin with uh, right after this i think i and i i told you i was uh, almost scared enough not to jump but mm. that was actually probably my most famous jump ever because, really uh, well not for me because i don't really remember that much but for my jump masters, they thought from that point on they thought I'm fucking with them because oh. I did level four and level five and the level four jump and they graduated me to level six and they never did anything like this. So as one of the first AFF students without tunnels ever, right? I did only six jumps for seven levels and um, I got praised so highly and um, people couldn't imagine it and. Uh, I, I bought the rig from my jump master. They sent me and hooked me up with people in Florida so I could go to Zephyr Hills, Florida, meet the best people in the world. And 
that's what I did. I canceled my job and went to Florida and lived in a tent. <laughs> wow. So you, like, right out of the gate, man, you got out of AFF, bought a rig, and moved to Florida. Yeah, it took me maybe three weeks to cancel everything, sell the fucking shit which I had and fucking left it. See, now that's <laughs> the story I expect to hear about Olaf Zipser. <laughs> that's the story I expect to, to hear. Somewhere, you know? It was worse enough for me to, to, to try that. And I had a good job. I was fixing teeth. Dental technician uh, can try that again. So it's not like I left everything and decided never to come back. Sure. No, I asked my boss for three months unpaid vacation. I don't know if Americans know what unpaid or what that means. But in Germany, you have a working contract and you have only a certain amount of vacation per year. And if you want to have more, then you need permission for it or you don't get it. Sure. And uh, normally you don't get paid benefits or, or, or anything during that time. But you get your job back when you come back. That's pretty and, awesome. Um, yeah, but my, bo my, my boss didn't agree to that. He thought like, I was crazy. And then I, just, <laughs> then I just fired him. And he said, like, you can't fire me. I'm your boss. And I said, I don't care, man. I'll fire you anyhow if you don't <laughs> give me three months vacation. I, I, I just go. That's awesome. So was, so, uh, uh, was Zephyr Hills, Florida, was that the first place that you'd ever been in the United States? Uh, yes, yes. So straight yes. to Florida to go jump out of airplanes for the, right off the bat. And how was it? I yep. mean, was it everything you thought it was going to be? It was by far more than I ever imagined because I was uh, I was a German boy from a bigger village. That's basically it, you know. And now I come to Zephyr Hills, or actually at that time it was Phoenix Skydive Center with the Cabellas. They were running it. They had DC-3s, I believe. It was the only place they had DC-3s on the place. Wow. And it was like, I, I would say it was the... the I. I was in the in the joyful time of ending up with the last of Woodstock, and that was kind of the drop zone. It was a little Woodstock. Oh man, it was bad. Sometimes a, a thousand people there with tents and trailers, painted like hippie hippie times, all around the airport. Little villages of trailer camps everywhere, pink flamingos everywhere. It was awesome. Oh, wow. That had to be quite a culture shock for a little German boy from a small village. Absolutely. But I quickly learned uh, all the advantages of uh, having such a life, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, clearly. I mean, well, how many years now have you been jumping? You you did your first jump in, you said, 85? 86. So 86. It's, uh, it's about 33 years now, yeah. 33 years, yeah. I'd say, uh, I'd say you've embraced the lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, I, can't, I can't go back. I wouldn't know why. No. I mean, I could back and I still make some stuff uh, like art, you know, little artwork and similar to what my previous job was all about. But I like flying. I like teaching. I, I found a lot of people who give me joy when sure. I teach them. So and, uh, the, yep. the, your first discipline, obviously, in skydiving at the time, uh, belly flying was all that was going on, really. Correct. So I was quickly in Florida, people, people from the German team, uh, Dieter Kirsch, maybe you know him, Christoph Arns, the Daedalus group. Mm, yes. They found me as a young skydiver and um, and um, and saw uh, potential, I guess. <laughs> and mm. they took me up in the four-way and eight-way team in the German national team at that time. Then okay. we started the then we started the drop zone together, three of us. Wow. With a little. Yeah. It was in 1988, and I was called Skydive Daedalus. That still exists. And, uh, yeah, and from that point on, I did AFF Jumpmaster and Tandem Master. I did all those things very quickly. Okay. Started working drop zone thing and team training and national team thing and competition. But it wasn't my thing to fly on the belly. I really had um, different things in my mind. I wanted to swim through the ocean of gas, manipulate sure. the air around the human body in such a way that human free flight is possible. Not just fall through the sky, kind of. So, how did the how did the how did the idea or the uh, the desire for free free flying first start? I mean, where did you first start to think, you know, hey, if we can do this on our bellies, we can we can turn this upside down? How did that come to you? It it wasn't like this, Dean. It wasn't like that. No? It wasn't like I wanted to invent something else. I knew how to track like everyone else. Mm. I knew how to dive out of the DC three when there's a thirty way, so you got to go on your head. There's nothing new. 
Um, all I did and had fun with is like uh, flying to clouds in Florida. There's lots of clouds. They're mm. very cumulus-like, you know. They have like uh, vertical edges sometimes. And my private game, my, my personal fun was like, can I possibly jump out of the plane, make it to the cloud, find my own rainbow and fly that cloud edge down and, and see my shadow. Right. And doing that gaming and all that flying, I, I just learned to fly all different angles and speeds and stuff like that dude you're fucking peter that, pan <laughs> it wasn't about uh, learning how to head down or how to do a looping or you know, something like this it was about chasing the rainbow and because the rainbow is around the shadow you know sure and uh, and to get there quickly and still make it home and not have to walk through the swamps that's that's the game <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty good game well, all right, so so you're doing this on your own, and you're basically chasing the clouds and playing Peter Pan and having a lot of fun, but uh, obviously from there to here, a whole lot of shit has happened. So I'm assuming that you started getting friends coming out with you, and this started to slowly morph into what we now know as free-flying. Yeah? Well, yeah, kind of, yes. Uh, yes, I made some friends. Remember, I was a young German boy, 20 years old, couldn't speak much English, so it took some time to make some friends. Mm. But I have to say, John LeBlanc from PD, you, everyone knows him, he was one of my first friends. Uh, he took me under his wings a little bit, literally, because he gave me some of his early experimental parachutes, I got to fly uh, less than 100 square feet in maybe 88, 89 wow. time. How ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so I made good friends with him. I met Scotty Carbone. <laughs> you can imagine what <laughs> nice. that's all about. I met uh, Tom Pyrus, uh, Peter Gnor, and um, we did beautiful things, but not like free fly. It was still kind of belly. Was, um, this, when there were people together, it was like maybe going into tracking. Okay. And then we had a game where we track next to each other and try to make a diamond formation tracking, track that around the airport with John LeBlanc. Then we had a game. I already knew how to go pretty fast and, and hold it and, and actually maneuver it. It was not just a, a bullet dive, you know, down to a formation. It was like what free fly is today. You sure. can maneuver it back and forth and turn it like a AFF level seven graduation thing, you know. So whenever we put the, whenever I put the tongue out next to someone in the in the tracking, that was the sign go vertical. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It was, it was pretty limited. Uh, it was actually crazy. We could have done this better at that time already, but no one thought of how to do it better. Sure. Not, you know that came over time of how to do it smoother, train the people. From that point on, I got more attention, and um, here and there I did some. Um, more AFF work and train to people doing AFF already what my new words are and how I think about it. Like, I don't like to say like jumping out of the plane or exit. I like to say to my students, we fly away from the aircraft, we enter the airstream. Um, I, I used words like this. Sure. Uh, and yeah, and it, um, yeah, more and more friends came together and uh, I, I, it made me have a job, you know. I didn't have to do AFF anymore. I did private fucking, I don't know even what we call it. Coach coaching. dives. Yeah, coaching. It was just and, coach and... dive in a different way. <laughs> okay, okay. Coach dives and, and load organizing with your friends, really. So mm -hmm. when did you know that something had changed? Like, when did you look around and go, well, wait a second. <laughs> Half of this plane isn't going to jump on their belly anymore. They're going to do some fun stuff. Not that flying on your belly isn't fun. Don't kill me for everybody that loves belly flying. I think it's awesome. <laughs> but when when did you uh, know? I knew when uh, when when I got to talk to people on the fire mm. at that time in the late eighties. Okay. Because they did not understand of how I wanted to say things. Sure. Obviously, also, I didn't have the English vocabulary to say it in a proper way. Sure. Uh, but the imagination and in the reading in between the line, I understood the others don't get it. Right. And that's I understood. Uh, it's really fucking difficult to explain them. So that's where I came up with a new word. I didn't call it free fall. I called it free flying, you know, and uh, free flying in itself is more like uh, we fly away from the plane. We enter the airstream instead of an exit. Sure. You know? It's a more imaginative word. And I liked that. And from that point on, I called it free flying. 
and not fun flying or sure. anything. Well, how, I'll tell you, what do you, you've, you've got to have a, um, uh, a real sense of pride in the fact that for someone like me, who's a, a generation behind you, but although we're almost the same age, um, the word free flying has been in my skydiving lexicon forever. I mean, that's free flying mm-hmm. has been around as long as I've been in the sport and, and obviously much before. And anybody and everybody that jumps now uses that as almost a second nature. That's just part of skydiving. Um, you got to get a kick out of that, don't you? I'm, I'm I'm very blessed, I think, yes. I started a little fire and took care it doesn't go out, and I gave a little spark to some other people who carried the fire on, and it's, uh, it's, um, it's, um, it's like that now. There's yeah. people dancing around the free flight campfire everywhere in the world, and that and that's definitely makes me proud sometimes, yes. It, well, it should. You know, it's it's funny because I've, I've actually uh, mentioned you a number of times on the podcast, and I always mention uh, one specific uh, section of one of the Chronicles videos that I saw back when I was just starting out skydiving, uh, and uh, a buddy of mine by the name of Jerry Fox had a trailer in the, the ghetto at Paris, uh, and... Uh, uh, we had all piled in there after um, driving all the way from Las Vegas to jump all day, and we were going to jump the next day. And uh, uh-huh. um, we pop in his trailer, and he lights up a blunt, and everybody passes it around a little bit, and he pops in this tape called Chronicles and says, you got to watch this shit. And I had never seen uh-huh. any of it before, never seen free flying before at that time. And the very first section of the video that came up was you uh, to a sublime song, and you were off in the distance on your head, and you run to the cameraman up upside down you do two or three <laughs> cartwheels turn around and run away and i was fucking <laughs> i was fucking floored part of it may have been the weed most of it was oh my god how the fuck did he do that and the very next day that we went out to jump i borrowed a big baggy jumpsuit from square one and went out and of course flailed all over the sky but it was instantly because of that very first impression i was fucking blown away as were so many people. So it's, it's, uh, I think you kind of undersell it. You didn't start a fire. You set off a fucking bomb. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, man. No, no. That's very nice. I, I enjoy it. You know, um, I have sometimes I, when I think about it, I, I think I have a couple more friends than I even know. Oh I yeah. Sometimes and they're a person who really likes me for whatever reason. And I never even met them. Isn't that it's funny? Because of the videos, the photos, the inspiration, the the beautiful guidelines which uh, Free Fly and and the first school of modern skyflying with the space games has has kind of passed the um, uh, stamped the way into what is what is what could be nice good flying, you know? For sure. Now, how did that start out? Because I remember when you were coming up with uh, with the ratings and and you were using the uh, um the what did you call it a space ball the lead weighted tennis ball. Yes, that was um, that was actually a, a necessity. There was not a business trick or anything. Mm-hmm. There was a necessity. And um, if I may uh, give you a little anecdote, mm-hmm. uh, basically, I already have on my drop zone in Skydive of America, I already have like, say, 10 people, locals, which fly really nice. And we can start making 10 ways and actually take the grips. Okay. You know? we are, 10 of us are barely good enough to fucking try that, you know? <laughs> So we're, we're really happy. We got our own playground and uh, and we are in Florida. So now maybe one or two Chronicles is already out at that time. Mm. So Free Fly becomes uh, m- m- more in the notice of the people. People try it like you do. People, people, people teach themselves, you know. Mm. So one day, I believe someone from Texas, but let's not say Texas, someone from somewhere else came and... Um, and he was cool, sporty boy, good, good jumpsuit, good rig. I don't know, looks perfectly normal free flyer at that time, you know. Mm. And said like, "Hey man, I'm so cool. I'm come from there because of you guys. Uh, can I jump with you?" And we were still very naive, I guess. There was not many people coming like this. We trained them ourselves, so we knew the people who we trained. They were good. Sure. Not not anyone came from outside and said like, "Wow, oh, can do this shit too," you know? <laughs> can I come and jump with you? So we said yes, and he jumps with us, and uh, wow, what a chaos, man. Ooh, I still remember that. What the fuck, man? I was worried. Totally. We do our thing and just do it left and right everywhere. Total chaos. Then on the ground, I ask him like kind of nicely. It's like, hey, man, how was your job? He says, it was awesome. 
it was so fantastic to see you guys it was just beautiful is all I wanted, you know. And then I said, like, yeah, but did you not say you can do this? And he says, yeah, man, I can do this really good. I was see you all the time and I was there close all the time. And then I understood, man, that the people think different things of what is good. Oh, For yeah. me, that's not good. If someone just zooms around who no one knows and um, no one trusts and he zooms around and does crazy shit in my idea because he can't even stop in his idea because it's maybe more fun than stopping because he can't do it. Mm. And, um, and then he says and has the attitude that was awesome and he should be, everyone should shake his hand for thank, thanking him for being there, you know? Right. And I go like, no, man, that doesn't work like this. Everyone here learned really, really hard to fly really nice. That's why no one hurts each other and, and scares each other, you know? This was a bit unorderly. Oh, why? And why was this unorderly? He saw us. And, and then I said, no, man, this doesn't work. Then I came up with this space ball mm. as a test. So I don't have to be the asshole telling people that they can't fly, even if they think so. Mm. You know, I said, from now on, if you want to fly vertical in a certain uh, formation, then I made this ball, which flies exactly the same like our 10 way at that time, sure. the same speed, and obviously straight down. And I made that as a test. I said uh, to all my friends, we all passed the test. So from now on, that was the new standard. If someone uh, wants to come and join our group, fine. We don't need to believe you anymore. You can now prove yourself, you know, with this test. Sure. And, um, and if you cannot do it, then obviously no one needs to say you can't fly because you know it yourself <laughs> right it'll answer its own <laughs> question get it. so it took a lot of work and asshole behavior out of me by telling people uh, you can do it and you cannot come you know right which i mean at the end of the day you don't want to be the guy that has to shoot down somebody that's that's you know uh, just coming to play and have fun if they can understand themselves oh shit i got to work a little bit before i can go do this then not only are they safe but you don't have to be the asshole Exactly. It was a. It was. It ended up being a, a little business tool because my schools were quite uh, 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 happy about this. We were teaching someone towards a certain goal, which was a test, and then in the end, you, we had an independent measuring stick in the sky, the space ball, which we then test them on individually. But the same uh, same idea to everyone all around the world in all seven schools at that time. Sure. And. Uh, and that made a world standard and gave people um, um, a goal to work towards too. You know, sure. because if I at that time, if you can fly like this and pass this test, then I say to everyone that dude is not so bad. If he passes the B test, then I would say to everyone that dude is actually fucking badass. You know, sure. And people wanted to have that endorsement, and people wanted to be part of the space games where we did the cool races with the Indy 500 around the pylons. The AD challenge, where people had to race in certain uh, rotational uh, sequences next to the space ball, and um, obviously you were only only allowed to be part of those uh, sponsored and uh, prize money space games when you actually tested yourself before and had the qualifications to to be even participate. Sure. You know? no. Well, and I mean, was, the, the, the free-flying brought up a whole bunch of safety issues that weren't there before just because of the speed involved. So, I mean, it was a, a necessity for you to come up with this way to assess people because it can be downright dangerous with someone that's, that's flying like an ass clown. Absolutely. And the dude I just told the story about, you know, he was just the first. The, yeah. Like, people came the next week and the next week and the next month, and then they came more and more and more because... Well, it got more and more popular, sure. you know, particularly through the space games. I believe we, in almost every month of magazine printing in some country, we had a couple of pages because of the space games. People, oh, of course. Oh, it, was yeah, yeah. it was fucking revolutionary. I mean, when I would get my issue of parachutist, I would, you know, you'd read the incident reports if, if, you, if they were there to learn lessons and everything, but then you just flip through the pictures to find somebody that was vertical. All right, what cool shit? <laughs> what cool shit are they doing? And it was it was no snub against the four way stuff or the eight way stuff or any of that or the big ways. It was just that it was so different and so new looking and so um, almost alien uh, that you were just attracted to it. Like, holy shit, look what they did this time. 
I totally agree, you know, and I did get a little shit of it and I did make a little fun of the belly flyers, you know, things like that. Sure. But the belly flyers didn't start the belly flying just because they wanted to make fun of the accuracy guys. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Their own fun. They wanted to do having fun their own way. And then the accuracies guys, they probably said also, oh, fuck you, belly flyers, you know, you, you special people, you know. <laughs> sure, sure. You bet. Well, I think everybody still kind of makes fun of the accuracy guys. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I bit. used to train with the golden Jack Jeffries and, uh, and and stuff, and when Tom was training them, still, you know, or airspeed it was actually, and then uh, we we made jokes about each other because free fly was still new, that no one really knew, kind of, you know, they all thought it was a face. Sure. And I say like, are you guys still training the student body position? <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember seeing a video that you did uh, one really cool jump where you were uh, in a super baggy suit, almost like one of the old uh, flyaway tunnel suits, uh, and you were free flying around. I believe it was an eight-way belly, um, and you'd go up through the center and then roll over onto your head and then dive back down and be in a sit fly and carve around them, and it was just this beautiful kind of mixing. And that's, that's the beautiful movie which Patrick Pass and Wendy Smith made. Yeah. It's called Cross. Crosswind has yeah. a super collection of all kinds of different beautiful flying in the beginning of the 2000s, sort of. Yeah, you know? it was, and it was fucking gorgeous yeah. because it was this beautiful mixing of the two disciplines. Um, and, I mean, it, it just it, it showcased the, the dynamic ability of free flying and the stability of belly flying, and it was really super cool. I think it's one of the most photogenic pieces I ever was allowed to be part of, yeah. you know, with all the smoke and the the cool people flying there and uh, also some space ball uh, tricks and dancing with Stefania. Oh man, that one. Yeah. That one, you know, it was kind of funny because uh, that video, uh, I wasn't even paying attention to the video at the moment. And I don't remember it, it was being showed with a, a large group of people. And I only caught the beginning of uh, the first jump out of the corner of my eye. And I looked over and instantly knew. I'm like, holy shit, they're ballroom dancing. Uh, and, yes, and that's I what Fucking, it was a wall. Yeah. yeah, I was blown away because it came through perfectly, 100%. And I'm like, he's ball. How the fuck is he ballroom dancing on his head? And this is at the time when I'm still working just to stay on my head, and you're ballroom dancing. What the fuck? <laughs> hey, in the end, it's the only trick is one needs to manipulate the immediate air around the human body in such a way that flight is possible. Sure. No, there's nothing more to do. Every belly flyer does it. Sure. You know, even only even an unconscious person manipulates the air around himself, but just not consciously. Sure. You know? So even that fucker is free flying somehow. <laughs> not there where he wants to go. Right. You know? That's the trick. Look ahead, like driving a motorcycle. See your curve in, a, in advance. Intercept, um, make interception timing kind of uh, curves with the others, so you know where to go to meet them at a certain time. It is badass. I think free fly, free fly took the stalling out of falling. Sure. There's no, there's no way you can stall as a as a accomplished free flyer. Yeah, there's absolutely. Always manipulate the air around you in such a way that you can have control of it. You, know? you learn to fly in any orientation, absolutely. Now, it, it's kind of funny because it seems like your mentality is a mix of what I would think of as a very. Uh, strict german technical and very hippie all at the same time so you, you've got but this it complements each other very nice yeah. because in every i do i did write down all those procedures how to train the student how to train the teacher how to train the teacher teacher how to make a competition how to train the judges for the competition and then I put a lot of work into all the different schools in Argentina, Brazilian, uh, Venezuela, North America, uh, 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 all over Europe, uh, Asia, Australia, um, in, in, in um, applying or, or, or at least suggesting those, those new ideas to the aero clubs. Sure. And they all start making their own little uh, teams, and that's why we have a world championship yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that part of it very much seems very, very German and regimented. Uh, and then the, the watching you fly, though, seems very hippie. And by that, I mean just very free, I mean, is the only word to put it. It, it doesn't seem calculated. It seems very free and very relaxed and very easy. And that's one of the things that I was always impressed with coming up in the sport with the really talented free flyers is watching it just seemed effortless. It, 
I believe it. You know, the, what is the what what is the goal on 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 making a sport on running far, for example? It's to, to be energy conservant. You know, mm. what's the what's the goal on a on a sprinting sport? It's like to pump it out in in a short amount of time. So you you must do both at all time, even if you go full power like a sprinting sport in the sky. That's a sprinting sport. Sure, uh, and. In that direction is, I think that's why also some free flight techniques in the in the modern tunnels they are different than the original free flight techniques in the sky, because in the tunnel you have an endurance sport. People want to fly a half an hour, an hour. You can't do that with original free flight techniques. Sure, you, you would out too much energy for for you couldn't you couldn't do it. You know. Sure. So so tunnel tunnel techniques are. Um, not necessarily better flying techniques, uh, but there are better flying long, uh, long-lasting techniques, sure. like a, a marathon runner. You know, he wouldn't run full power right away either. He couldn't do it. And if you would be a, a sprinter, you wouldn't run like a marathon runner. You would never win. Right. You know? Two different techniques. Even if you do the same fucking thing, you run from here to there. Sure. So and. Uh, when did yep. uh, when did the competition stuff start to come into play with free flying? Because I remember in the beginning it was it was uh, the competition side of things was kind of slow to start, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, um, first it was uh, Pete McKeeman with the SSI Pro Tour, uh, which uh, took over freestyle and sky surfing and pitched that to the ESPN network, right. and that was uh, 1991 in Vero Beach. That was the first uh, official competition for that. Mm. I was invited on that, didn't get a medal, but uh, showed my free fly stuff, my head down stuff, and uh, and um, that was, uh, they said that was unique, they never seen anything like this before, so from that point on, the, the year after, I had my own team, which was uh, Michael, Mike, Mike Vale, sure. and myself, we were the free fly clowns, yes, you we had were. a year to train, and we rocked it after that, Mike Vale was badass student you know I picked him up after AFF and uh, even packed for him just because I was so inspired to finally find someone to hang out with and and teach him flying really cool really he had money you... he had money he had time he was a hippie and he wanted to <laughs> yeah I mean he was another one of those characters that you'd see in some of these videos flying around with these massive dreadlocks and of course the the, the clown masks and stuff and it just was it just looked like so much fucking fun it just looked like it, there was nothing that wasn't amazing about it. It was. We had good music at the time, all this crunchy music, sublime. Right. Uh, it was a very badass young 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 man time for me. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because if you talk to um, a lot of the skydivers of, of our generation, um, most of them, if you ask them what kind of music um, reminds them the most of some of their favorite times in skydiving, Sublime is like the number one band. And I can tell you right now, for me, it's specifically because of how much you guys used it in the Chronicles videos. You guys, you guys introduced me a, to that band. We had a super deal with those guys. Charles was um, used to be a musician. Mm. He knew them somehow at a time when they weren't even famous. And I think the Sublime with the Chronicles... It was the first time that uh, in Europe people said that they have even heard Sublime wow. was on our chronicles. Yeah, man, can imagine. So that's fucking. That's, uh, that's epic. Yeah, I don't know if that's really, really true, but I heard that a few times. So for sure, they were in the beginning of their career. The sure, Sublime people. So now, when did the big free flying competitions start? When when did it really kick off crazy like that? I think uh, my most important free flight competition, which I would have not liked to not win, was in Spain, 2001. It was the first world championship, the first world air games where free flight was included. Mm. And um, for me, that was a, a, a big milestone as it was was the cherry on, on, on my cake of free flight creation, sort of. You know, finally, there's a world championship. So sure. I wanted. to. I wanted to win it, and we I, we did win it as the Americans. I was an I raised an American flag with uh, with uh, Org Nelson. Nice, you know, him, of yeah, course, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mike Swanson, we were the team. Rook Nelson, Mike Swanson, and Olaf Zipser in two thousand one. That's fucking cool. Now it's it's yeah. kind of funny because uh, I tell you that I was introduced to you and you know getting stoned in a trailer in Paris Valley watching Chronicles, but uh, in nineteen ninety eight you competed in the U.S. Nationals in Elsinore. Uh, do you remember what uh, um, what discipline you were were um, competing in? 
I think uh, you're mistaking. It was not Elsinore. It was Paris Valley. Oh, Paris Valley was the one you were in. Well, you, I think you must have been at the 98 Nationals then in Elsinore because uh, um, Omar was uh, competing in, uh, what was it, uh, freestyle in 98, and I was competing in sky surfing, and that's actually the very first time I ever met you was in the 98 Nationals. Are you sure it was Elsinore, not Paris Valley? Yeah, positive, because we were all sitting on the grass um, getting ready to do jumps, and maybe you had just hopped over for the day because the Nationals were going on. It's very possible. Uh, but, but if it was Nationals there, I would have probably competed because I was an American uh, competitor, you know? Yeah, it was, was, it, was, was, it was 98, 98 at, uh, at Elsinore. For sure, I'm actually sitting here with uh, the second place medal I got with my uh, my sky surfer. <laughs> Congratulations! Yeah, man. Well, there were there were only two there were only two teams, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I got two medals like this. I only competed; otherwise, there would have had not a competition. You know? Yeah, <laughs> actually, it was funny because my sky surfer partner and I were just going to do the open, or not the open, but just the uh, intermediate. And there were no teams in intermediate, and there was only one other team in the open, and that was Craig and Tanya uh, Garcia. And yeah, they're top. They, they knew what they were doing. Yeah, uh, and uh, so they asked us if we wanted to compete in the intermediate, and we're like, no, fuck no. I'd rather get my ass kicked by Tanya than win a, <laughs> a gold by myself. So we went and, and, Craig, and awesome. Craig and Tanya kicked our asses. So 2001, yeah. you win the, the world, um, and you actually ended up competing in sky surfing at one point, didn't you? Yes, I am. As, um, as I... As I traveled and uh, went to all competitions, mostly for freestyle or free fly later on, you know, I always thought like, man, let's do the other competition too. You were allowed to compete two times. Sure. So I did that just for fun. You know, now, I, I never really did a good, good thing. But I also did, I was a sky, as a sky surfer myself, I never really won much sure. for nothing, actually. But as a competitor, as a sky surf cameraman with Eric of Rade oh, or yeah. Sean McCormick, uh, or even Gaudencia, Martinengo, uh, we we made medals at the uh, at the world meets and also medals at the uh, at the X Games. Sure. You know? Well, and that was As actually I think you were the first person I ever saw um, camera flying for a sky surfer without wings. Yeah, that was in '95 with Gaudencia. And uh, that was awesome. I got an Emmy for this kind of flying over there. Yeah, man. It was impressive as fucking hell. I mean, it, it was uh, um, just mind-bending at the time because, of course, the best of the best needed those wings for the dramatic speed changes in sky surfing. And here you are in a baggy free fly suit just banging it out in the most unique way. And it was fucking fantastic. <laughs> uh, that, that reminds me of the, I think it was the parachutist cover shot of you free fly and holding your Emmy. Yeah, the, I don't know. There's been often. There's a few Emmy there's shots with me. Often. <laughs> that's that's but, cool. But uh, so with Gaudencia, that was a really fun team. She was the sister of my girlfriend, mm. and uh, uh, she was awesome. She was one of she was the best after with Vivi and Vegrad. You know, they were the best sky surfers sure. at the time. Well, and uh, was a road island was awesome. First extreme games, was super super event. Super cool. Well, it was kind of funny because I uh, I had uh, Andrew Ford uh, Forty on here uh, a while back, and he told me uh, that he was actually in a competition where you were sky surfing. And the the funny story that he told was that you had you had uh, put your release handle for the board was on uh, um, I guess on your hip where it was supposed to be, and you'd stood up and the cables were too short, so it was releasing the bindings. So you just unzipped <laughs> the fly on the jeans that you were wearing and stuck the release handle out of your fly which is <laughs> that fuck, is true. that's fucking it's true. that's awesome man that is awesome <laughs> hey you gotta do what you gotta, you gotta do, do what you gotta do right man that's fucking epic so you go through all this competition and stuff and then um free flying is now taken off it's a full-blown hardcore sport and then here come the tunnels and they turn the whole skydiving world on its head and i don't know that anybody saw that coming because i worked at the old las vegas tunnel where you know you could barely manage to do a kind of a tracking carve in the tunnel because the wind was so slow fly away right fly away, fly away. yeah man i was an instructor yeah. there back uh, back in its heyday and it's still going strong but uh, um these modern tunnels, man. What, what's your what's your opinion of them? Well, I think uh, uh, skydiving is uh, 
it's gonna it's gonna die slowly as a pessimistic idea it's gonna die slowly uh, airspace is gonna get uh, crowd more crowded a fuel more expensive la 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 the risk factor will be calculated differently mm. plus it's so much more easy to spend all your money in a tunnel these days if you only drive 20 minutes down your city block and uh, you find a tunnel in every big town now yeah so it's super convenient for for people who like to learn to fly Yes, it's a fantastic new revolution there. Sad for skydiving, I believe, but good for for people, good for the new sport of tunnel flying. Yes. Yeah, tunnel flying. I definitely, I, I think it is a completely different sport. I mean, obviously, you're still flying, but uh, uh, it's it's a whole new world for sure. I don't know that I think it's the death of skydiving, but I certainly think that it's going to confine skydiving to um, more destination drop zones. I don't think there's going to be so many drop zones scattered around. I totally agree. And plus, all the imagine all this calculation. I mean, like, how many tunnels are out there? I say 300. Would you agree? Oh, if not more. Okay, that's just 300. 300 times, let's say, 4 million. That's fucking, what, $1.2 billion yeah. in just construction cost? That's missing in the skydiving industry. Not only this, all the money which people pump into it, that's maybe a three, four billion dollar industry which they have created and all that money is missing in skydiving in some way yeah no i agree well and i think the other factor that uh, that plays a part with the general public anyway is the danger factor uh, they think you're only going to get uh, bumps and bruises if that in a wind tunnel and everybody thinks that skydiving is dangerous which it is um i mean obviously there's more risk involved when you start throwing uh, uh you know thousands of feet and nylon and string into the mix but uh uh yeah i I, I, I completely agree with you. I think that uh, um, the, the tunnel industry has definitely taken a lot from the skydiving industry in that respect, for sure. It's a complete disruptor. And disrupting ideas are always good. Freefly was a little bit of a disruptor in itself. Sure. But, uh, it's just evolution. I, I congratulate everyone who went early into this business and probably made it quite healthy. Oh, yeah. Uh, this business, yeah. So now speaking <laughs> but of... But one should not forget the beauty of nature. <clears throat> I think to, 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 to say it very strong, I would say to, to, to swim, to learn to swim in the ocean of gas, you need to have air around you or, or water around you without water you can't learn right. to swim right you can learn to swim in the bathtub in a swimming pool or in the ocean so there's the difference in a bathtub and swimming pool you will have a zero zero risk or very little risk it's very controlled environment you have no waves you have uh, no fishes no sharks no coral reefs no shit sure. oh you but yes you can learn to swim and swim really beautiful why not? You, everyone can have swan, fun swimming, but I like to have fun swimming while flying next to the clouds, chasing rainbows, sure. little cars driving on the freeway, seeing the boats going to the island, see the coral reefs and the colors around it, you know? Oh, absolutely. And, and that is something which in a tunnel, uh, maybe one day with augmented reality and shit, maybe, maybe you can do it better there, but... Um, well, I, I enjoy the beauty of the nature. Yeah, I, I, heard, I heard a comment once that I thought was pretty apt. It said, uh, nobody stayed on the treadmill an extra 20 minutes to see what was over the next hill. Um, uh, you know, no, uh, I, I've never been sitting waiting for my turn in the tunnel and had to take my phone out to take a picture of the amazing clouds I was flying by. Uh, so you're right. Uh, there is no... Um, there's no way to simulate, at least not now, no way to really get that type of uh, feeling out of it and that experience in skydiving because that's that's unique to the sport. Um, I mean, absolutely, you know, and the uniqueness uh, makes it worth it, I believe. Oh, yeah. I mean, when the hell else do you uh, get to hop in some plane and, and after you're above a thousand feet, open the door and dangle your feet out the back of the plane and just watch the world fly by? I mean, come on. Uh, I've, I've never considered myself anything but lucky that I get to experience that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Man. Now, I think like 24,000 jumps or something like it. Now I've been, I had the, the opportunity to sit a lot of time next to the door being like sort of the load master or something. Wow. My favorite time on planet earth is sit next to, in that door and just fucking glaze out and let the whole planet go past me. Oh yeah. I mean, think my thing. 
It's it's the same. Wow, it's, what a dreaming. It, Best dream chair ever. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's the same for me sitting up front when I'm flying the plane and, and uh, I've got a, a minute to just kind of look around and, and I can't count how many thousands of photos I've got on my phone because I just had to get a picture of this sunset or, or <laughs> that cloud or, or this view of the same piece of ground I've been flying over for God knows how long, but I got to have another picture of it because it's just so damn beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. There you go. Yeah. And I don't know anybody sitting in an office that goes, holy shit, I got to get another picture of the coffee machine (laughs) (laughs) we are we are are blessed by our own space-time design extremely now speaking of um shaking things up you have had a long time desire to try and blast yourself into outer space and make a jump from space i do it i did i started uh with high altitude jumps uh, early times in the 90s in skydive davis they had a king air which went really high then I did some uh, little military jumps kind of in Germany. And then I got a super duper opportunity with Patrick de Gaillardon, 1995, just after Russia was uh, finished being Soviet Union. We, we went over there with a little budget and we rented an Illusion 76 and shot ourselves up to 47,000 feet and made our own little spacesuits and was fucking crazy mission but it was awesome Holy and shit. it inspired me to to do that all one day better with less risk and uh, more scientific uh, um, benefits from after doing such a stunt or a research mission sure know? and since then in i think it was like 99 or 2000 when i got uh, again uh, more interested in this and uh and I researched some of the private rocket companies, which, like SpaceX, was not even existing at that time. Sure. But there were some other, uh, private rocket companies like Amadillo Aerospace, uh, Interorbital System, uh, um, X-Core, uh, other little ones. And uh, I put a lot of effort into it to get some good connections and uh, get to get the permission to 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 visit those rocket companies because i wanted to get myself a rocket and do uh, uh i wanted to build I, I still want to do build build a better spacesuit sure so people can higher altitude jumps and maybe even uh come back from space one day as a biomechanical flex wing well hadn't they uh looked into an egress system for the astronauts and that was one of the thoughts was that uh they would be able to use um basically a, a bailout and parachute system to be able to do exactly that yeah on ascent yes yeah the, is the, a, that that was the escape the, yeah yeah, but uh, you know what? Um, uh, all the all the astronauts, technicians, or space uh, engineers, which I had the opportunity to talk to in Russia or America, they have never really considered one thing: that the human people can fly himself. We, or I, particular, I, be- I truly believe I can manipulate the air around my human body; that I can fly sure. and stay in control. Yeah, when that is possible in the lower atmospheric pressures, or with high speed, even in higher atmospheric uh, pressures, higher altitudes then one can do such things. And uh, there are other opportunities which we developed um, uh, uh, in, in, in how we can uh, keep control even at, uh, at higher altitudes where there's no atmospheric pressure to fly with. People in, in everyone who, all the spacesuits which I tested, all the engineers which I asked and interviewed, they never considered uh, those kind of opportunities that you actually can steer something from the inside out. Sure. And uh, that is one of the big factors which we believe uh, makes it uh, feasible to even uh, attempt such uh, research missions mm. uh, in finding if that uh, makes a benefit and can be uh, implemented into a future spacesuit, uh, a space emergency rescue solution. Wow. Serious. Well, you know, it's kind of, uh, I've stopped thinking things aren't possible anymore. Now I just kind of assume that eventually everything's going to happen because every time I think there's no way somebody can do that, somebody goes out and does whatever it is I think they can't do. Uh, it just becomes more and more amazing. Um, and it's super cool, especially in a sport as young as skydiving, to see the the crazy growth in the abilities of just the average skydiver uh, from you know the, the lowly AFF student all the way up to someone like yourself. It's just amazing what a short, small period of time our sport's been around and how much it's grown. 
Yeah, I think uh, modern or new or different modified uh, teaching techniques are, are the, the, the key for, for faster uh, development. Um, sure. The way we teach these days, the way I teach someone is, is different than, uh, uh, let's say, like one of these traditional uh, military teaching programs, you know, um, <laughs> definitely different. Sure. And um, yeah, and uh, the way we teach is like it's with beauty and harmony and, and fantastic uh, control by saying like we fly away, we don't fucking exit something, you know, sure. we don't plummet somewhere. Uh, and then try to get control. No, we fly away with control right away. And uh, we manipulate the air. We're not just pushing ourselves on an air cushion. Or I don't know in, now in the moment of what the differences are in the way you can, with different pe pedagogic, can uh, take the fear out of future students. Sure. You know? Well, and that's the thing too, is the more you uh, you give them the knowledge and, and uh, um, the techniques, the, the less um, that part of the fear is there because that, that unknown is taken away. There's always going to be uh, that little bit of fear and there should be because like we talked in the beginning uh, of the podcast, that fear is what keeps you sharp. It's what keeps you safe. Um, that alertness is uh, should never be um, gone. It should be there forever, but uh, being able to take the the fear of flying out of the uh, um, equation is amazing. Yeah, I believe uh, people are like horses or something. You know, we have a certain sense. If, if, if I put myself under the wings of someone else and expect him to keep me safe and teach me something, I I kind of probe him for all his emotions. If I see that that person is nervous, then I get nervous too as a student. You know. If you are a, a rider on a horse and you don't know what to do, the horse will know exactly that you fucking suck in riding and <laughs> don't know how to do it. So I think all students uh, feel, uh, feel this uh, unconsciously from their teachers also. So if you have a teacher who can't free fly and is worried doing AFF that maybe your student is falling on the back and they can't get him, then that fear is uh, telepathically somehow uh, transmitted to possibly the student as well. Sure. And and um, and um, yeah, I think a better educated teacher uh, with a more self confidence uh, can possibly be also a better pedagogue for for teaching people in the sky. Oh, you know? I completely so agree. I mean, the more well-rounded you are as an instructor, um, even if you're not teaching all the disciplines that you know, uh, the better you're going to be able to impart that information to someone else, for sure. So what Absolutely. what is Olaf Zipser up to these days? Where where have you been jumping lately? Well, I've been traveling um, since I met you last in Dubai. Mm. Remember, I was there. Yeah, but yeah. This is already years ago or three and a half years ago. I had a beautiful opportunity to work with the sports government in Botswana. My job was to investigate the country for a year and find airplanes, fuel, travel spots, uh, air, uh, places to land, uh, did some demos here and there, did uh, tandems. And basically the idea was to make a, to, to, to investigate if it's feasible to make a sports center for skydiving in Botswana. Okay. That was a beautiful. Beautiful job. It had to be. Um, got to see a lot of animals. Uh, had a little, uh, even found myself a girlfriend there. Uh, but a research girl was awesome. Spent a lot of time in the in the in the in the bush with uh, with all the wild animals and um, jumped out of medical helicopters. Took some cool people and landed them places. That's awesome. That yeah, that didn't work out after one year. The contract did not get renewed, and some problems in the local government. Someone died also. Then there was a new governor on place. No one knew nothing about nothing. Yeah. Anyhow, big chaos, and it was too difficult for me. Then I spent a year in, in Namibia, traveling there, jumping all over there. Uh, then I spent some time in South Africa, also looking for maybe new opportunities to create a new center. Sure. And that's exactly what I'm doing now in Thailand. Nice. I'm since a year and a half now in Thailand, and I really love it there. That's oh, a it's beautiful a, spot. Yeah, after Venezuela and Africa, aggression kind of in the lifestyle, you know, in the politics and in the behavior of the people. I think Thailand is a is is a blessed country by by beauty and harmony and uh, and um, just a soft lifestyle. You know, sure. no one really fucks with. You. 
together. It's beautiful. Well, and it's, I mean, uh, you've been doing this for a very long time. So the, the high stress and, and uh, fussing and fighting to get stuff done can't be appealing. It certainly isn't to me. No, getting visas, working permits, uh, um, you know, res- resident visas and shit like this. That's the, probably the biggest hurdle in my life, which uh, I have to overcome every couple of years because I decide to uh, have more adventures in another country and and do what I can do, you know, find new places, teach new people and have fun. Which is amazing. My life. So as, <laughs> as as we start wrapping things up, what advice do you give to a few different uh, groups? What advice do you give to newer jumpers just finding their way in the sport? And what advice do you give to jumpers that may be thinking, shit, there's there's nothing new. I don't know if I'm going to keep this up anymore. Ha, ha, ha. Wow, what a question. Well, what advice I would give to everyone is like uh, – well, keep it keep it fresh all the time. You know, it's like uh, don't always do the same things. Uh, think think before you fly and uh, try to uh, design something in your third eye. You know, close your eyes, imagine it. If you can imagine it in your eyes, uh, in with closed eyes, and feel your muscles while you imagine yourself doing a new flying maneuvers with your friends or something then you probably have a good chance to actually do it in the sky if you can imagine it. If you can't imagine it, then maybe not be so open in trying new things right away all the time Mm. because it's probably very difficult to just do something in the sky if you can't even imagine of what you're supposed to do Mm. before, you know. And I see, yeah, well, maybe it sounds a bit negative, but I, I see people jumping into too difficult flying techniques with other friends too early. Sure. And and that bothers me a little bit because I, I really try to work on not putting rules on things, but putting safety guidelines, you know, ideas, inspiration of what should someone thinks before he thinks he's good and then try to mess with 20 other people in the sky, sure. you know. Well, I I, I kind of lay social media to a little bit to blame for people kind of getting ahead of themselves with stuff like that because they're able to see things nowadays that uh, um, when you know we were starting out in the late '90s, uh, it, you didn't get to see the the free flying stuff unless somebody had a bootleg copy of Chronicles. <laughs> you know, and you, yeah. you know, or maybe you got to watch somebody that kind of knew how to free fly because they happened to put their video up in the bar. And, you know, that's the only way you got to see any of it. Now, all you have to do is write skydiving or free flying and put it on YouTube, and you've got millions of videos of badass people and a whole bunch of bad ideas for somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> totally agree. Hey, but what can we do? You know, yeah. I think it's beautiful that people are inspired and what they do with their inspiration. It's uh, obviously up to the individual of how to decide of uh, if they want to, which way they want to proceed. You know, yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, anything can be a weapon or uh, be used for something good, you know? Well, and, um, I suppose it's better to have inspiration that might be out of reach a little bit at that time than to have no inspiration at all, right? I, I totally agree. Yeah, imagination is more important than knowledge. You can always imagine something new. Oh, yeah. But if you if you just have a certain knowledge, then you're fucking stuck with that shit. I couldn't agree more. I, I could not agree more. Well, you know, it's 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 funny because uh, again, I like I told you, my first introduction uh, to Olaf Zipser and to um, the free fly clowns and to free flying at all was that uh, that worn out tape in that little trailer in Paris Valley. Uh, so to be able to, and it's funny to use the word um, hero, uh, but that's a good word to use because I didn't know you back then, um, and you absolutely were somebody that I looked up to and aspired to do the things that you were doing. Uh, and even though you're only just a few years older than me, it was always this, uh, almost a reverence for what you were able to do. And then having met you only briefly way back then, I still held on to that cause I didn't know you. And then of course I got to finally sit down and talk to you 20 some odd years later over the course of, of our time working in the same facilities and, uh, went, all right, on top of everything, he's fucking cool. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you man. yeah man yeah i, I try i try no. like everyone should be trying you know not to be cool but just be be yourself you know and then other people can tell you who you are you know absolutely you just people can just do what they do 
if you want if people want to change themselves and pretend certain things and it's really tough to judge them agreed i completely so, agree uh, so be who you are bring what you can bring and um, and have the happy vibes and suck them all uh, uh, from other people so you can give them on to other people damn right you know? damn right well olaf i'll tell you what man i cannot thank you enough for taking the time to sit down and uh, have this chat with me and i know there's a lot of people that uh, are going to really enjoy uh hearing what you've got to say Oh man, um, thank you very much, Dean, for this opportunity. I wish all you guys, whoever hear this, uh, please all free fly your mind. You know, think about things, space time design your your your, your life. You know, and uh, and I hope to speak to you one day again. Oh, you know and, we will, uh, man. It's a small world and a smaller sport. I can't thank you enough. Okay, all the best and uh, aloha. Aloha, hola. Well, there you have it. Another episode of the Lunatic Fringe Podcast brought to you as always by, well, wait, not as always, actually. Brought to you now by Gyro. Formerly known as Enziero Sports, you'll head to gyro.com for their next level line of canopies. By Pussfoot, the Extreme Sports Collective. Head over to pussfoot.com to check it out. By Summit Parachute Systems, check out summitparachutesystems.com to talk to Jarrett Martin and the gang about kick-ass pilot rigs rigging courses, and more. By Flyaway Indoor Skydiving. Go to flyawaytn.com and check out all the cutting-edge stuff to come. By Pure Spectrum CBD. Head to purespectrumcbd.com to check out their wide range of CBD products. And as for us, head to the lunaticfringepodcast.com to listen to any of the hundreds of episodes currently available. Hit the link for our YouTube channel, pick up your copy of the Lunatic Fringe book or The Accidental Stripper, and get a sneak peek at upcoming guests. Once again, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.